I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. We're going through the book of Matthew. We've been since uh, this church started, uh, almost two years in Matthew, and we we have come to chapter 21. And this is the, uh, what's known as the triumphal entry. Let's go ahead and read through it. So when they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, Let's pray real quick. Oh, Father, thank you. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for announcing yourself to us, Father. Um, I pray that you will just give me the words and the thoughts to speak, Father, this morning. Um, and that will be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So there's a lot going on in this passage, actually. And. And Noel asked me to preach a couple weeks ago, and I read the passage, and I was like, well, how the heck am I going to talk for 30 minutes um, on this? But I, I, once I started digging in, I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is, there's a lot here. So <clears throat> uh, many biblical scholars will actually call this uh, the fulcrum point of the Gospels, and this account is in all four Gospels. You see it in Mark and Luke and in John and, of course, in Matthew. Um, and they will split up the Gospels into what Jesus' uh, ministry and life was before the triumphal entry and then after. And this is the beginning of the Passover week. Um, and so this is going right into the last seven days of Jesus' life. Um, and the reason it is kind of the, um, the point of the spear, the, the most important, it's the turning point, is that Jesus now has announced who he is. So the passage ends with saying, who is 
who is this man? And that really is uh, what we're going to talk about today. Who is, who is Jesus? Um, so the first thing I want to do is kind of zoom out a little bit, and we're going to look at um, some of the context of what is going on. Um, so leading up to this passage, Noel spoke uh, and preached last week on the story of the two blind men. So Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he, um, he was essentially accosted by these two blind men, and Jesus heals them. But the blind men, what's significant about this miracle, and Noel mentioned this last week, is that uh, Jesus has healed many people. There's lots of stories so far. But what's significant about this is that he healed, they called him the son of God. They cried out to him and called him the son of David, son of David. And if you were a Jew at this point, the term son of David uh, was basically synonymous with the Messiah. They were calling him the Messiah. And in the past, anytime someone had called Jesus the Messiah, um, he'd said, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet, whoa, easy, easy. It's, my time has not come yet. But this time, he, he acknowledges it. And the reason he acknowledges it then is his time has come. He, know, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to announce that he is, in fact, the Messiah. So this has just happened. Um, also, what has just happened, and you, you see it in the passage, um, the account from the Gospel of John, is that this is uh, right after he raises Lazarus from the dead. So Bethany um, is a little town um, opposite of Bethphage. So in the beginning of, of the passage we just read, Jesus sent two of his disciples to go across to the town opposite and find a donkey. So they go into Bethany and they find a donkey. Um, and Bethany is the home of Jesus' good friends, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who he had just raised from the dead. So this is uh, probably the greatest miracle um, that Jesus um, has done. And be, because of that, there are great crowds, crowds of people already um, around and following him. And word of this miracle had already spread. So, so Jesus has acknowledged um, to the blind men that he is the Messiah. He's just ra raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's on his way into Jerusalem. And I, I say all this because it's important. Um, We've probably all heard um, someone, pre all of us who grew up in the church anyway, have probably heard someone preach on, on this passage. It's usually the Palm Sunday passage, um, the entrance of, G of Jesus into Nazareth. Um, and for me, growing up, I always uh, kind of pictured it in my head this way, that, okay, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. He's there with his disciples. He starts entering the city. Yeah, I know he went and got the donkey, but... Um, and then just all the crowds just kind of organically rose up and started praising him and, and anointing him King Messiah. And, and Jesus just, just kind of sheepishly, uh, modestly, you might say, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but this isn't really the way it happened. Jesus planned this. Jesus planned this. So he knows he's on his way to Jerusalem to announce himself. He acknowledges with the blind men. Um, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He plans a donkey. Um, and we'll talk more about the, the meaning of the donkey in a little bit. But um, 
to announce that you're the Messiah is a big deal. You know why it's a big deal? Because there's only two options um, moving forward from this point for Jesus. He's either going to be anointed as king or he's going to be killed. And he knows this. And Jesus' disciples know this too. So Jesus' disciples, you know, up till this point, um, they're probably a little bit confused. They're expecting um, a Jewish Messiah. And they, I think they believe he, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but what they are expecting is something very, very different from what they're, they've been getting all the way through. Um, and Je- Jesus has told them a few times now, I believe three times now, in Matthew anyway, that he is going to die. And every time he says that, the, the disciples are confused. And there's even a story of um, Jesus rebuking uh, Simon Peter um, for questioning him, for questioning Jesus when he says that he's going to die. And you, Peter says, surely, no, that will never happen. And, and Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So the, um, the disciples are probably a little excited and also a little scared at this point because they also know he's either going to get crowned as king and he's going to overthrow Rome and rule as the Messiah, which is what they're expecting. It's really what they're expecting. Um, or or he's going to be killed. Um, we're going to zoom out just a little bit further and look at um, a little bit more context here. Um, so as I said, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. And they have now for several hundred years, they've been ruled by emperor after emperor, empire after empire, ruler after ruler. Um, but the rec- more recently, and probably in the front of their minds, um, was the Maccabee Rebellion, which was only 160, it was at about 165 BC. And it was actually a pretty successful rebellion. Um, They overthrew um, the Greek rulers at the time. um, And they actually gained their independence for a while. And then Rome came in 67 BC. And the Jewish people, God's chosen people, have been practicing They've been trying to follow the law. They've been trying to hold on to their tradition, but they've been in exile for for a very, 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 very long time. Um, They did, during the Maccabee uh, Rebellion, they they were able to take back the temple um, and re-sanctify it. Um, And then they've been practicing their their religion under um, Rome. But what the Jewish people have been hoping for for a very long time is for their Messiah. They put their hope, they put their trust, they put their expectations in, in a Messiah. And, and what that looked like for them, it was very much a political, a political leader. If you had told a Jew that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to sacrifice himself and, and die, it, would, it just would not really compute at that time. It, for them, the Messiah meant um, a military political leader that was going to unite 
and bring, bring back Jerusalem, bring back the country. Um, and so this is the backdrop that we're at, um, not only for uh, the Jewish people, but also for Rome. Rome, wasn't, uh, Rome was very much aware, aware of this. So it was, very, um, it was common when there was a big Jewish festival in Jerusalem that the governor of Rome would come down to Jerusalem, and he would come in a very triumphal entry. Um, and the difference between, um, the contrast between a Roman entry and Jesus' entry is, is, is very different. So um, it's very likely. So the Passover celebrates uh, liberation from Egypt. So it's, it's one of the biggest uh, Jewish festivals on the calendar, and a lot of times the population of Jerusalem would grow massively during that time. Um, and usually the governor, which at this point was Pontius Pilate, would come down in this parade, this triumphal entry, and the whole purpose of him coming down is to say, hey man, we're, we're here, we're powerful, we're strong, and you, you better keep your people in line, and there better not be any revolts. Because the revolt of the Maccabees is very much in the front of the, of the Romans' minds still. Because it, it wasn't that long ago. Um, um, and Jewish um, nationalism is very, very strong at this time as well. So you have, you have zealots, you have people just training um, to overthrow Rome secretly. You, um, uh, Jewish nationalism, uh, hatred for, for Rome um, is very strong. So the idea of a revolt is not, uh, it's, very, it's very likely, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so it's very likely, we don't know, his, uh, some historians um, actually think that possibly uh, Pontius Pilate actually rode into Jerusalem the same day as Jesus. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but it, it's certainly most likely that he did ride into Rome within a few days or at the same time, very close. He, they would usually, the governors would usually come down um, at the beginning of the Jewish fe festival. So, um, so Pontius Pilate has probably just paraded through Jerusalem in a show of force. And when, the, the Rome, when Pontius Pilate comes through, he's riding on, not a donkey, <laughs> he's riding on a war horse. He's riding on a war horse. He has an army with him. Um, they've polished all their armor. Um, they have weapons. Usually there's fanfare, there's music. Um, and he is coming in power and in strength. Um, versus when Jesus comes, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, little, little bit. So, so, so this is kind of the context we're in. Uh, for the Jewish people, for Rome, for Jesus, for Jesus' ministry. Um, and there are two main points I want to stress this morning. And the first one is, yes, okay, cool. He put the question mark in there. Okay, so, so Noel, uh, we've been going through Matthew, and there's a, a series on who is Jesus. And so last week, Noel preached on Je Jesus is a merciful God. And, and, and he labeled, he labeled this sermon the modest king, and the next week it's going to be the mighty king. So he wanted to get his, his three M's in there. Um, 
But as I started studying um, the passage, um, and I actually got this from, from Dr. Tim Keller, um, Jesus isn't the modest king. And there's really nothing too modest about this triumphal entry. You could say he's the humble king, and we're going to get to that. So the two main points that I want to say is Jesus is not modest, but Jesus is humble. Um, So let's look at modesty first. So um, So, Dr. Keller, so this was in a sermon that he, that he did on this passage, but he said, Jesus is humble, but he's certainly not modest. And w- let me tell you what he means by that. And if you look at the definition of humble or of modest, um, a, de- a definition might mean uh, unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's ability or achievements. Another definition might be neither bold nor self-assertive. Does this sound like Jesus? Probably not. Um, Jesus is announcing himself the Messiah. He, He is telling the Jewish people that he is the one. He is the one that they have been waiting for. He has planned his entry. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, I want to read a passage from Luke here. Okay, so this is from the same, the same story, but this is Luke's version. So some of the Pharisees, so the crowds are, are praising, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Um, Jesus is announcing his his deity. He's announcing his messiahship, and he's announcing his deity. And um, he is certainly not modest. And this this is important because... Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah for the world. He is the Son of God. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is not just um, Lord of um, our hopes, but he is Lord of lords. And if we do not surrender our hopes our expectations are once under his sovereignty and acknowledge him as actually being king of kings, um, <laughs> then Christianity is pointless. This is the crux of, of Christianity, that Jesus is, in fact, the king of kings. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way. You've probably heard this quote before or... Um, a paraphrase of this quote, but he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is about Christ. I'm ready to accept that Jesus, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. And C.S. Lewis is exactly right. Jesus did not intend to leave that open. And when he decided to march into Jerusalem on a donkey, he knew that it meant, he knew what he was proclaiming. The Jewish people knew what he was proclaiming. He was proclaiming to be the Messiah, and there was no turning back. He was either going to be crowned as king, or he was going to be killed. Um, so, who, so who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah. Um, there was another point I was going to make. So the... In Matthew, it says, in my version, it says um, that the city was stirred. So he marches through the city. People are throwing, they're putting their coats on the ground, which is a symbolic synonym, a symbol of what you would do for royalty or a king. They're waving palm branches. They're singing Hosanna uh, to, the king, to, to the king of David, the son of David. Um, and then it said it created um, a stir. A stir is the word um, that they've translated. Now, some of your translations might say moved, but if you look at the original uh, Greek, the word um, sio, I believe is how it's pronounced, it means to shake or to tremble, to quake in fear. It's the same word that is going to be used um, when there, there are ac actually earthquakes during uh, Christ's crucifixion and also his resurrection. So this created a huge, a huge turmoil. The city's just like going crazy. Like Jesus is going in there on a donkey, his disciples and the crowds are waving and celebrating and, and anointing him as King Messiah, and the city's just gone nuts. So Jesus announces himself as the Messiah. He pr pronounces his deity um, and his messiahship. The second main point is that Jesus may not be modest, but Jesus is very humble. So the Jewish people expected Jesus to be marching in on a war horse to be marching in in power and in strength and he comes in he chooses to march in on a donkey now he does this for two reasons well, maybe more reasons but he does the two two reasons that he did do it one is to fulfill the prophecy so the prophecy um, is quoted here in Matthew say to the daughters of Zion behold your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey um, so he does it to fulfill the prophecy for sure and um, if we wanted to, we could probably preach several sermons on Jesus fulfilling prophecy, but we're, we're not going to do that today. Um, but 
I will say this, just side note, we should, as Christians, be very confident that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He fulfilled every um, prophecy for the first coming of the Messiah in the Bible. And there were, there were many, many of them. So we should, we should have confidence in that as Christians, that he was indeed the Messiah. Uh, but the other reason the donkey, first of all, have, has anybody ever heard of donkey? Um, I, I know these people over here have. Yeah. We, our neighbors have donkeys, um, several donkeys. And they, <laughs> they make the most god-awful noises. I mean, just, you hear it, you're like, what? What is that? If you don't know what a donkey sounds like, it, it is, um, it's the same sound that they use in Lord of the Rings uh, for the Nazgul. Just a side note, it has nothing to do with the sermon. But donkeys, <laughs> donkeys are, donkeys are uh, noisy. <laughs> They're noisy all night, <laughs> all the time. Um, <clears throat> but donkey, a donkey is a beast of burden. It is not a war animal. It is not an animal that you would ride into war. It is not an animal um, that is proud. It is not an animal that is majestic. Um, it is low to the ground, and it is humble. And, and Jesus chooses to ride in on a donkey to demonstrate the difference between the world's idea of success, the Jewish people's idea of what their Messiah was going to be, um, and, and the difference between the world and God's kingdom. So, Jesus is the king of kings. He was born in a stable. He hung out with a bunch of ragtag uh, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, the lowly of the low. He rides into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, not with an army. He rides in on a donkey. And, and then from this point on, what, what is it that happens from this point? He gets beaten. He lays himself down. He sacrifices his, his very life um, for us. It's the opposite of what um, the world defines as success. It's the opposite of what the Jewish people were expecting. It's the opposite of what they were putting their hope in. Um, and more than that, it is, he came... The Jewish people were expecting a very f a physical re re revelation, a very um, of this world, this kingdom. Um, and Jesus didn't come um, for a physical revelation, but he came uh, spiritually. He came to change our hearts. He came to conquer death and sin. Um, and bring us back to, to Christ. So it's a spiritual revolution, not a, not a physical one. Okay, so Jesus is humble. Jesus' kingdom is upside down. Um, Jesus is Lord. And so what... What should our, re our response be, I guess? Um, I 
I, wa I want to look a little bit at, um, again, what the Jewish people were putting their, their hope in. Um, I've heard it said by some different ministers, I think Dr. Keller says this a lot, but what we put our hope in is where our idols are. So if you're putting your hope in, if you're the Jewish people and you're putting your hope in um, a political leader that's going to come and save everything and make you right, uh, you're putting your, that's where your, your idol might be. Uh, for us today, uh, I mean, it might be a political figure. Are we putting our, I mean, we're about to come into this election cycle. Are we putting our hope in, in a political figure to come in and make America right again? To bring, to bring, <laughs> that's very close to the slogan, to bring, um, to bring America back um, to the godly nation it was founded on? Are we putting our hope in, in money, in power? Are we putting our hope in religion, in our marriage, in romantic relationships, in our children? See, Jesus didn't come just to give us what we want. He came to bring what we need. And a lot of times, it might not be what we want. What we, what we need and what Jesus' mission was, was to reconcile our hearts to God to save us from our sin. Um, I know in our Western society today, and in the church especially, it's, it's, it's very easy to come, come to church on Sunday morning um, and worship and sing um, and then to go home and, and we live our lives how we want. Uh, we live our lives pursuing our own hopes, pursuing our own dreams, pursuing our own wants. Um, and then we come back on Sunday morning and, and, and we worship Jesus. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself too, guys, so don't, don't be offended. But... Um, Jesus didn't come to just make us comfortable. Um, being a follower of Christ is not about uh, pursuing, it's not about Jesus just being a great teacher to help us pursue our own hopes and dreams, our own wants and desires, but it is about submitting all of those hopes, dreams, wants, desires under his sovereignship, under the King of Kings, and following him. Um, so J uh, Jake, you wanna head on up? So Jesus didn't come to restore a physical Jerusalem to what it, what it once was. He didn't come as a political 
leader, he didn't come in might. He came in humility. He came to sacrifice himself and to restore us to Jesus, uh, to God, to restore our hearts to his, to him. So uh, what I would like us to do now is let's, uh, we're going to spend some time in worship, and I would just invite you to um, surrender, whatever it is, whatever um, you're putting your hope in that's not in Christ, that's not Jesus Christ, even if it's a good thing. I would ask you, let's, let's surrender that, and let's worship. Let's worship God. He, uh, he is here. He has come. Our Messiah is here, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's not just a Jewish Messiah. He's so, so much more, and he sacrificed himself for us so that we could be reconciled to God. We're so glad you joined us, but don't forget to stay connected either through our website, our social media, or the Church Center app. Or you know what? Better yet, come join us in person on a Sunday morning. See you soon.